Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, has their fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated BF Goodrich All-Terrain TA KO2. But did you know they sell other automotive products as well? Wheels, brakes, and suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive, just go to TireRack.com slash sports, TireRack.com. It's the way the tire buying should be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show back in sunny, cool, crisp California. Yeah, we complain because it's only 55 degrees here. This is a bad day, but a clear day. Not a lot of smog, no fog. Mama did, in fact, kick the breakfast with no hog. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you're enjoying what I would think to be a day off President's Day weekend. Man, do we have a good show for you. Jay Wright, um, look, I don't often uh, offer complete and full uh, disclosure, but I will in this case because I don't know if the guys heard it. I just recorded an interview with Jay Wright. Busy man. I'm going to pretend like it's live when we play it for you. And if you're listening that long, we already got you hooked anyway. It was really, really good. But I want to do it more like a conversation because I've interviewed him so many times and I feel like he's a friend. And I just, I don't know. 
Um, I think you'll really enjoy the conversation I had with Jay Wright. That's about an hour and a half from now. Karan Butler, I did not record this. He'll be joining us in studio here in 20 minutes. Is he here yet? He lives right down the street. Is he here yet? I don't know. Karan Butler. And then David Griffin's going to join us in the third hour. First two hours, if you're listening to us driving around on Sirius XM 83, you got plenty of time to download the iHeartRadio app or find a Fox Sports Radio affiliate. The former general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers, David Griffin, will join us. We'll ask him his thoughts on the new-look Cavaliers, which we saw twice before the All-Star All Star break. All right, let's talk All-Star game, shall we? Did they fix it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I believe what happened today and the ratings and the reaction to the game, a lot of it a storm. Get to that in a moment. First, dear Fergie. Okay. The Star Spangled Banner can be a very difficult song to sing. That I think we all know. Each one of us at some point in time have gotten the verses screwed up. Don't act like you haven't. You've looked, you had to look up at the screen and be like, wait, where is there a word somewhere? Right? So she did, in fact, get the words right. She wasn't intending this. People have tried to make it like it's Roseanne Barr screaming the national anthem. And no, this was not like third level, her level, her, she was trying to protest by clowning. it. I just felt like Fergie was trying to play the part of Marilyn Monroe singing to JFK. The difference is that song was happy birthday. See, she sexually sang to the then youngest president in the history of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. It is song. It is not an R&B song. And if you're trying to do Marvin Gaye, I don't know Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye is not a friend of mine. But you, my lady, are no Marvin Gaye. It, it didn't come off as intended. That said, she did at least get the words right. So we'll give her somewhat of a pass. Uh, I like Pharrell Williams. It seems like he's doing the Benjamin Button and aging backwards. I thought the choreography was great. But God, that music was just a racket. Just a racket. And people criticized Justin Timberlake like, dude, Justin Timberlake was great. Played like five or six of his best songs. He sang. He danced. He was good. Played a little piano, a little homage to Prince. That's what a halftime show is supposed to be. Not what we saw from Pharrell Williams. Choreography, great. It looked like they were all having fun. It was well shot. It was well lit. It was interesting. But when the song is bad, it's like when you order something from a great restaurant. And you're like, the ambiance is great. The service is good. The wine was good. You know, I had some Brussels sprouts on the side. The plating was good. How was the steak? Cold and undercooked. That was the halftime performance. All right, enough. Let's get to the game. Team LeBron wins. LeBron James, uh, all-star game MVP. Here's LeBron after the game. It had a real game feel to it. And it starts with us. All these guys right here, these guys came in with the right mindset this uh, this weekend. And we wanted to give our beautiful fans and our beautiful game played in over 200 countries in the world a show. And uh, we said we wanted to do it, and we, we came out, and, and we did that. So, I mean, we got the best league in the world, and we want to continue to do that every single day. Look, I, I here's what was a perfect storm. Last year was so bad. I, I didn't even watch it, I'll be honest with you. I, but I, I've, I've watched some highlights of, how bad the defense was. I looked at the number of three-point shots taken. I've heard the narrative. Plus, it was in New Orleans, which means all those dudes were going out. Not that they weren't going out in L.A. Um, 
It was bad. It was so so. You start with the fact that last year's game was bad. Then you add in the Laura Ingram controversy, controversy, right? Combine it with LeBron having that seven-week stretch where he had the worst plus-minus in the league, and the Cavs all of a sudden looking re-energized over the last two games, and LeBron potentially coming to L.A. and, hey, where was the All-Star game played? Los Angeles. Paul George also the uh, eye of affection for many Lakers fans. You had five players from Southern California playing in the game. So you had all these things kind of working for you at the NBA. Last year was the worst. They gave ownership to LeBron and to Steph, which uh, at least made those two want to play better. Those two want to lead some. You add in some youth to the game, right? The, uh, like Joel Embiid hadn't been there before. Felt like he was playing harder blocking shots because he didn't. He hadn't been to a bunch of All-Star games. He couldn't take it for granted. All of those things combined... And I thought the All-Star game was better. But part of it was the bar was set so low from last year. It was a culmination of things combined with it being in Los Angeles, who was trying to recruit two players to take their max contracts, play in the house where Kobe built. No Lakers there. We did the whole thing. It worked, but will it work long-term? Where's the All-Star game next year? Is next year, did Charlotte finally get it back next year? Because next year it feels like You're going to have to keep tinkering with it, keep trying to make it special. I mean, look, it's the hardest thing with being married is trying to make each date special. My wife and I, we we did this last week. We're like, hey, let's just go out and have dinner. We got a sitter. My wife, my my mom came down, watched the kids. We went and had dinner. And we hadn't, I've been traveling so much with, gone with Super Bowl and then gone to New York last week. I had one night and we went and had dinner. It was nice, but... We talk to each other several times a day on the phone. We text each other kind of constantly. Like, I can't say that it was, it. it's an effort to make it special. It was 17 years. Doesn't mean I don't like her company, but like, okay, we've talked about that topic. I know your stance on that topic. We talked, right? We, like, we talked about all these things. So it's hard. So if it was me and I'm the commissioner of the NBA, I keep tinkering with it. The first thing is, I think all teams should wear their traditional jerseys, home and road. I, I, I like that one was black, T- Team LeBron was white, Team Steph was black. They put their team's logo on it. But I always thought one of the cool things with All-Star Games is when you're wearing your own team's jersey and you're playing together. Let's all wear our darks today, fellas. And everybody else wears their home whites. Uh, but, you know, this year you had two captains. Obviously, next year you run the possibility of having the same two captains or at least one of those two captains again. Do you have legends pick? Next year they're going to televise the picks, which I love. <clears throat> which I love. Um, but it also feels like, look, you could... you could. I, I like the idea of money and winner take all. Make it more money. More money, more competitive. And it was great. They were playing for charity. I like when you're playing for yourself too. And I help, I think the money this year helped them play a little bit harder, at least in the in the last part of the fourth quarter. So did they fix it? Temporarily, yeah. It showed that you can at least in spots play hard. They're getting a lot of credit for playing hard when really it was Joel Embiid blocked a couple of shots early in the game. And then the last part of the fourth quarter, they did in fact compete and switch screens and make some shots and foul each other to pretend like they were playing hard. 
But let's not act like this was, you know, some Eastern Conference 1990 series where they're they're clotheslining each other, fighting over every loose ball, playing through pain and blood, sweat and tears to win a game. For an all-star game, they played a little bit better, a little bit more team-oriented basketball at both ends of the floor. But for a basketball game, it was a tough watch for about three quarters. The culmination of Laura Ingram, LeBron possibly coming to L.A., playing in Staples Center, five guys from Southern California trying to show out on some level for the home, for their family, for their hometown fans. The fact the league was embarrassed last year made it better. But you probably want to continue to reinvent yourself if you're the NBA. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Adam Silver has some thoughts. And what I like about Adam Silver is I would call him part pragmatist, part progressive. But Adam Silver, I think, has identified a problem, which many of us have discussed, which is the imbalance of power between Western Conference teams and Eastern Conference teams. Here's his thoughts on changing the playoff format. When we get to the playoffs, should we be be taking either the best 16 teams or even if we go eight from the West, eight from the East, seeding one through 16 going into the into the playoffs and that is something that has gotten serious attention not not just recently but over the last few years at the league office so look they're paying attention to it it's very important to note they're not changing it so don't run around at the office don't go down to 24-hour fitness and be like yo i heard they're changing the playoff format like no they're discussing it because that's what smart people do they discuss it and discuss it and discuss it, and they discuss it some more. Maybe they, they throw up some potential formulas. And it's a great, it's, it's, in theory, it's great. In practice, really hard. Um, I do believe that the Western Conference is better. Discernibly better? Maybe. Maybe. Like, as of right now, Minnesota's the fourth best team in the West. Would they be better than the fourth best team in the East? The Washington Wizards? Probably not. Better than the Cavs? Nope. Better than the Celtics? Probably not. Raptors? Uh Uh-uh. Like, the, the, the balance is actually a lot more even than you think. You think Oklahoma City, like, man, they got Paul George, and they got Carmelo Anthony, and they got Russell Westbrook, and Steven Adams, like, they're in fifth in the West, which may speak to the power of the West, but the Nuggets are in sixth, the Trailblazers are in seventh, the Pelicans are in eighth, the Pelicans are eighth, and they don't have DeMarcus Cousins. The West isn't that strong. It's just not. The perception is the West is strong because they have both the Rockets and the Warriors, and the thought is the Spurs. But if the West was so strong, then why have the Spurs been able to be 35 and 24 without Kawhi Leonard playing much of the first half of the season? It's just not. It's not that dominant. Additionally, ultimately, this will even itself out. It always does. At some point, the Philadelphia 76ers will be a consistent playoff team, which they, they're, they're on the brink of getting into the playoffs for the first time since the rebuild. The Knicks couldn't be this bad forever. The Celtics have a ton of young talent. They're going to be good for a long time. Uh, we'll see if the Cavs end up losing LeBron James. Meanwhile, the Wizards, the Pacers, if the Bucks have Giannis Antetokounmpo, they're going to be good for a long, long time. The, the reason that it's super flawed is you don't have balanced schedules. I'm a big balanced schedule guy. So you can't throw them into the same pot when they don't have the same record. You have to have East-West, not just for rivalry's sake, but for con- 
context sake. Here's what I mean. This is the problem with Big Ten football. If you want to tell me that the West is better than the East and deeper than the East, all right, I'll buy it. I still think it's deeper. I don't think it's that much deeper. Like the Lakers are in, what, 11th place? They're not a good team. They're in 11th place if they're in the East as well. Right? The Jazz, who have lost all these different players, and like, look, the Jazz are in 10th place. Like, they're not great either. They wouldn't be great in the East, but whatever. If you want to tell me the West is a little bit better, fine. But the Western Conference teams play against the Western Conference teams more. So you can't say we're going to do, well, it's all six, best, best 16 teams because you can only go by record. And if the Eastern Conference teams play against the Eastern Conference teams more, this is a lot like Wisconsin in the, in the Big Ten. You can't compare the, the, the record of Wisconsin this year in the Big Ten in football, who only played Michigan from the other side and played them at home with Ohio State, who played Oklahoma at a conference, played Michigan, played Penn State, played Michigan State, you can't, or Michigan, who played Penn State, Ohio State, um, both on the road, and then had to go to Wisconsin. Unbalanced schedules makes it impossible to evaluate the East versus the West. So why change? It's simply an overreaction to the perception that the West is dominant over the East, and it really isn't. The Warriors are dominant. The Rockets seem to be dominant, but have yet to do anything much in the playoffs. We think the Spurs are always going to be good, but they're going through a bit of a uh, refresh here, but they're still they, you know, they're winning, but they're not that much more talented than anybody else, especially without Kawhi Leonard. Tell me where the depth of the West really is. You want to tell me it's the Timberwolves, fine, but there's no no stat, no record that would tell you they are, in fact, dominant against the East or against anybody in basketball. So listen to what Adam Silver's saying. We've discussed it. It's interesting. We just don't know a perfect plan yet. If you go top 16 teams regardless of record, would mean the thought would be you'd have more teams from the West involved. But the problem is that that's not really a reality. If you went eight and eight, you're going to go based upon record and seeding teams. And that's not fair because the context matters and the East plays more against the East. There's not a balanced schedule. If you're going to completely remake the schedule, regardless of division and have everybody play each other the same number of times, it's still not truly a balanced schedule, but then, and maybe only then could you have a 16 team winner take all doesn't matter where you are tournament. But until that happens, it's a conversation that doesn't really fix the problem. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Villanova head coach Jay Wright joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for taking time with us. Congrats on the win. It was amazing and yet felt like Groundhog Day all over again. Um, going into Saturday. What was your level of confidence that you could get the win? We, we felt good coming to the game because we had gotten some guys back and, and it had, they had started to practice. You know, uh, losing Eric, uh, Phil Booth was uh, a blow to us. And um, Eric Pascal, it's kind of weird how that happened. I mean, we found out on the way to the to the game <laughs> that he wasn't going to play. Um, so it's just kind of weird circumstances every team goes through during the year. And the other thing was, we had two other players, um, Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie, broke their hands also. So they didn't practice for a long time. 
and they were freshmen. So it's we've been kind of getting guys back a little bit. We've been piecemealing it. So going into the Xavier game, we, we were better than we looked in the two losses. Okay, so um, you walk into that building, and one of the things that I think uh, has helped in games like that for you is because you've dominated the Big East, you're everybody's biggest game, right? And so even though you have some young pieces, you mentioned Gillespie and Samuels, and uh, but you know, and and uh, Amari didn't play obviously last year, but everybody else, you've played in environments like that. How much does that help you process the zoo that was the Centos Center, and where your guys could focus uh, even right after the jump ball? You, that's. Um... A very important point, Doug, because our, our guys are used to that. You know, it's been um, since the new Big East started. Kind of in the last four years, you, you, um, you know, even in the first year of of the new Big East, you know, when we went to Xavier, well, that was the first time that that Villanova played Xavier, you know, in the new league. So it was a big game. Um, so. Our guys, everybody that comes in this program is used to that now. You know that um, everywhere we go, we're you know we're the the big game, and uh, they don't really know any other way, which is pretty cool. Because in the beginning, it was you know in the first year it was kind of new. Second year, you had a little bit of experience, but now the guys that are here, they they really don't know any other way, and they they actually enjoy those atmospheres. Am I crazy to say this team has more more talent? Uh, than the national championship team. No, you're, you're probably right. It, it does, but as you know, um, just having talent doesn't um, in, ensure you that type of success. You know, probably, you know, probably the top five, top six, we probably do have more talent. But there's so many intangibles that a guy like Ryan Archidiacono as a as a senior and Daniel Chefu as seniors brought uh, to that team. You know, we don't have any seniors on this team, um, so that's a little bit different. But it also gives us the chance to improve more than that team had the ability to do at the end of the year. Yeah, and the other part about improving is, uh, granted, like you know, you're you were down four guys um, going back a couple of weeks ago or a week and a half ago, right? So you mentioned two broken yeah. hands, Booth, Pascal. You know, have all these injuries. I, that might actually help you here for the stretch run where, um, you know, Dante has to take a, a, a bigger role um, that, that, you know, you can't be can't be passive. Can't let, where you, the guys that you had, the guys in that room had to kind of explore all the different attributes, especially at the offensive end. It, that might help you for the stretch run. Fair? Definitely. Exactly. I, that's what I meant earlier when I said um, we we weren't. Uh, we, we were feeling much better going into the Xavier game than we actually looked in the St. John's game and the um, Providence game. Uh, for instance, in, in, and no excuses, everybody's going through it during the season. It's just that it's, it's why we felt better going into Xavier. Um, the St. John's game, you know, on the way as we're leaving for the game, uh, you know, we find out Eric Pascal's not playing. Well, Jermaine Samuels was coming off a broken hand. He wasn't supposed to play in that game he had only come back for one day so he plays in the st john's game with literally half a day practice and thinking he's not going to play well he you know then he gets to play in that game and we get a couple days practice and we go at providence he plays in the providence game a lot more um 
you know, St. John's game, Colin Gillespie had only had a game or two back from a broken hand. So he hadn't played that much. Now he has to play a lot. So it didn't look good in the St. John game or the Providence game, but those games really helped those guys because they played a lot. Now we go at Xavier. Colin Gillespie has a great game at Xavier. Jermaine Samuels gives us great minutes off the bench. And um, Demir Cosby Roundtree, another freshman, plays really well because he had to play a lot in those games. Even though we lost, he played a lot. Yeah. Uh, Jay Wright joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. I, I, guess, I guess people think it's a weird year, and it's uh, maybe because the Kentuckys, the UCLA's, the Dukes maybe, not, not as down as the other programs. Kansas obviously sustained some losses, but still a top. Uh, the Big 12, tied atop the Big 12. I, I think it's because Indiana probably not going to make the tournament. I think it's because the Blue Bloods might be, maybe are a little bit down, although you guys are quickly becoming a college basketball Blue Blood. How would you, if you had to characterize this season to somebody who hasn't been paying attention, would you say it's a down year? Or would you say it's a Blue Bloods? How would you characterize it? Yeah, I, w- I would. I would characterize it exactly how you said that. It's, it's a down year for the Blue Bloods in the regular season. But I'm sure those guys are looking at, let's say the Kansases, the, uh, even the Texases, the Dukes, the, the uh, Kentuckys, you know, nobody, even Michigan State, you know, they're at the top, but maybe not playing as everyone expected them to. You know, um, you know Indiana, uh, I, I'm sure those guys are saying, you know what, this is our chance to struggle a little bit during the regular season. We don't get to do that a lot, but maybe we get hot at the at the end of the season and we get hot in the tournament. Uh, I don't I don't hear anybody saying, you know what? I hope we get matched up against <laughs> yeah. Kansas in the second round, or I hope we get matched up against Kentucky in the second round. Nobody's saying that. You know, um, there's you know place I used to work ESPN. They've they seemingly have handed out the National Player of the Year trophy to Trey Young, and I I like Trey, and I, I know you've interacted with him, and I know like he's not there's not there's no unlikable part of him as a kid, yeah. and he's put up remarkable remarkable numbers, but I watch Jalen play, and look, I mean it's one thing to average twenty a game and five assists and less than two turnovers a game. To shoot fifty four percent from the field as a point guard, forty three, and um, your guys' defensive numbers are off the charts. You're twenty four and three. You just go into to, to Xavier and beat them on their home turf in in what was an absolute zoo of an atmosphere before that game, and you just silence that crowd. Um, give me your sense from a guy who's coached players of the year, player of the year candidates. You know. What what about Jalen's year has been special for you to coach? Well, I appreciate you mentioning that and and describing his his uh, numbers as you did because you know when you're coaching the guys and you're telling them that you don't have control over whether you're national player of the year or not. You know, it's a, it's all about a it's about a hype machine. You know, and um, as you said, you know, ESPN does a great job of that and. Um, I can't, you know, I can't coach the guys and say we don't want to concentrate on that stuff. Let's let's be the best player you can be, and then let's see what our destiny is at the end, and then go out and be promoting it all the time because then you're not legit. But it is it, it it's you stated it very well. It, if you look at efficiency and a guy that's a leader, he's a point guard, and as a you look at his numbers 
and what his team's doing. Jalen could go get 35 every night with ease, but he, he plays the game to win. He plays the game to lead his team. There's a great play at the end of the Xavier game where we, either the shot clocks, there's, there's like 45 seconds left. We have the ball, so there's a shot clock differential. We have to take a shot. They're going to get the ball back for the last shot. It's a 15-point game or something like that. He runs pick and roll. He's got a wide-open shot to get a three, and he chooses to throw it underneath and get a dunk for Eric Pascal. So, you know, if he's going for numbers, he gets a three, but he gets his teammate a dunk. That's what a great player does. And um, I'd love to see him get player of the year, but, you know, we're not going to work to do that. I thank you for mentioning it. I think he's the best player in the country. I think he's the best leader in the country. I think he's the most efficient player in the country. Um, and, and I feel bad sometimes when I see the hype machine for Trey Young. And like you said, if Trey Young wins it, he's a great kid and a hell of a player. You're not going to be upset about it, but uh, I do. I really do believe that Jalen is the best. I, I agree with you. How, how does he lead? Because he doesn't strike me as being a yeller and a screamer. But but he obviously leads. Is it simply by example? Does he talk to guys? Like what what is his his leadership style? You know, the final piece of his leadership style uh, is starting to get into guys' faces. And, and we're going to have practice today. And the highlight of all the highlights of that game that we're going to show the staff is Jalen, after they score in transition, getting up and getting in Mikhail Bridges' face because he didn't step up and stop the ball in transition. And that's something that, that Jalen doesn't like to do a lot, but we're trying to get him to do to be the final piece because he leads by example by – Academically, he graduates in three years. He's a machine academically. He's the hardest working guy on the team. He's in the gym first and last every day. He eats the right way. He's the most mature person in this program and the most committed, including me. He's more mature than me. He, he is incredible in terms of how he leads his life. But the final piece is he's got to come out of himself and get uncomfortable and get into his teammates' faces at the right time. And he did that at, at Xavier. And we're, we're going to accentuate that more than anything else he's done. You know, look, uh, there's a the piece uh, out there. I think ESPNActually.com has, has, has written a, a piece today, which I, I was reading earlier coming in, uh, which talks about over the last five years, you guys have been the best program uh, in college basketball and kind of here's the journey. Yet for those five years, we've talked about in the past that you guys haven't made it out of the first weekend. So there, you got to, you got to. It's a little bit of draw. You got to be lucky. You got to be healthy. You got to make shots. The year you won national championship, you went the first two months of the season without making shots, and then in the tournament, you made so many shots that you just blew the doors off of people. I mean, you beat Oklahoma by forty-four points in the national semifinal, but even that took a last-second shot to beat North Carolina. So the, everything kind of has to work out. But does it? Yeah. Does it feel like that kind of special year? You know, it does, Doug, but I, those years when we lost the second round. It felt like a special like year a there, too? Year. It did, man. I, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe that has something to do with why we lose in the second round sometimes. And I, I'm feeling so good about them. I don't know. I, and I've, you know, I've tried different little things as, as the head coach. And, and what I've learned over those, those five years, because we've had great regular seasons, um, is just – you know, you, you got to do, you got to do what you do. You got to do the best you can, make the best decisions you can. And each year is unique. Um, it, for instance, this year, 
you know, we're coming down a stretch here where, like, we, we we feel like we can get a lot better. We're we're just getting guys back. We haven't we don't have Phil Booth back yet. Yeah. He hasn't even practiced yet. He just got his cast off. So we feel like we can keep improving at the end. Where those other years, at the end of the year, we were just trying to keep everybody healthy, stay fresh because we had everybody. You know, and except for last year, last year we only had seven guys because we, you know, we we lost to Mari Spellman. Um, you know, we had Phil Booth out for the season last year. So every year is different. But I always feel like it's the year, and I've learned that you've got to make the best decision you can, do the best you can, and then at the end of the year, your destiny will reveal itself to you, and you just got to live with it. All right, last thing on the conference, and I know we're all supposed to show for the conferences either we cover or that we play in. And, like, look, this is a league to which um, I thought everybody thought St. John's would be better, um, and obviously they were, they were good in the night they played you, and you guys couldn't make a shot. Um, and, you know, Georgetown's rebuilding, DePaul's rebuilding, but the, the rest of the league, by and large, was great out of conference. I mean, great out of conference. And yet, now it's beaten up on each other. Now it's beaten up on themselves. And so, you know, Marquette, they had a big win over the weekend, but, you know, they're, and you guys went in there and won this year as opposed to last year, uh, but they're below 500. And now what looked like the deepest league in the country feels like a league to which you feel, well, five teams will probably get in, and I don't know who else get, you know, like, you got to, all right, does Seton Hall still alive? How would, how would you, uh, um, if if you're trying to be fair to how good this league is as opposed to the rest of the country, you've seen it all, you've coached against it all, you've played the Gonzagas of the world, you've played Tennessee already this season. What are your thoughts on the depth of quality teams within the conference? Well, there's two interesting points you brought up there. Uh, first, I'll address the, the depth of the conference, but the second point that's really interesting is how when the conference is really good top to bottom, how you can actually hurt each other. You know, um, I think this year, top to bottom, 1 to 10, I don't even know who's 10. Is DePaul 10? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I look at them all the same. But, you know, DePaul twice, uh, DePaul went into Xavier and almost had Xavier beat. St. John's at the bottom beat us. And and I and beat Duke. You know, I wasn't. Well, they beat, wait, they beat Duke and beat Duke, right? And Duke, they surprised. beat Duke. And, they beat Duke in Madison Square Garden, which, let's be honest, that's more Duke's home court than St. John's home court. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we played at St. John's and lost, and won by seven. So when they came in here and we found out that Pascal wasn't playing for the game, we 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 all thought, oh man, this is going to be brutal. And they lost their best player, Levette. Marcus Levette is arguably better than Pons, and he didn't play this year. That's what happened to them in, in, the, in the Big East season, and then they started to figure out, all right, how are we going to do this without them? So I think top to bottom, if, that, if they're the worst team and Xavier is, or us are the, one of the best teams, it's the best it's ever been. And I'm even including the old Big East days because – you know, in the old Big East days, we'd have great ones at the top. Man, but, you'd have South yeah, Florida have at, the at the bottom, or Old DePaul at the bottom, or Rutgers at the bottom yeah, when they were I, bad. I mean, Doug, even before that, when we would have, like back in the 80s, when we would have like an 8-9 game, you know, might be, you know, maybe B.C., um, you know, Seton Hall back then. It might they both, Maybe you had two teams that were down. Remember you used to have the old 8-9 game? Yep, yep. There was a single game. All right, both of them might be down. And then maybe the seven other teams were great. But this, this year, one through ten, when we go to that tournament, everybody in this league knows whoever's ten. But do you imagine if St. John's is ten? You've got to play them at the Garden first game. And you're, so 
that's one part of it. The second part of it is because of that, you mentioned it. Like Marquette, we won like a one or two point game at Marquette this year. They might be on the bubble for some tough losses, but they were they were they lost to St. John's. They it might hurt them even though they did really well out of conference. So it's 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 those numbers of who makes the tournament and what's the best conference is, is really difficult to determine. No, what's happened to you guys is it happens in the Big 12 honestly, and you know, the league I played in where where when you have those 10 team double round robin leagues and the team when everybody's kind of alike and you know you beat up on each other and you look at me like, well they have nine conference losses like yeah all those teams are good as opposed to you know there are other leagues to which the bot exactly. there, there's a definitive and if you play for example in the Pac-12 if you play Washington State twice you know and you play uh, you're that's that's two wins right so if yeah. you play Washington yeah. and you play Cal twice that's four wins you have whereas there there exactly. aren't four wins you can chalk up in the Big 12 or in the Big East because those the teams at the bottom are just not that far away from the teams at the top exactly. And then you look at a year, and then there could be a year, for instance, like last year, where the top six are good, and there's a clear separation between the bottom four. So it works out. You get six teams in. You get 60% of your teams in as a conference. That's a hell of a year for your conference. But it works out because there's a separation between the bottom four, and the, the numbers work out. You don't hurt each other. You know, but when it's real strong, one through ten, you can hurt each other. Well, listen. It's good to see your team get back, getting healthy. Phil, Phil, when do you when do you think we'll see him? Will he play against Creighton? You believe Saturday? Uh, I, I think we have a good shot against Creighton. Um, we're going to try him this week and see if we can get him for any type of minutes against DePaul on Wednesday. All right. Well, listen. Get out to practice. I know you got some film to watch. In the meantime, congrats on the win. Awesome to watch this team. And uh, I I cannot tell you how much respect I have for the season. And the way in which Jalen carries himself—it's—it's it's been amazing to watch. I hope, selfishly, I hope he comes back for another year. But obviously, he's done so far just about as much as you can do in in three years of playing college basketball. I, I agree with you 100 percent on that, man. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Doug. Good talking to you, buddy. Pleasure's mine. Jay Wright uh, from Villanova joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. And now... All right, LeBron James versus Laura Ingram took center stage all weekend long. Here's Dan Patrick's take on that face-off. I love the fact that LeBron James put himself out there. If Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and Derek Jeter weren't comfortable, that's fine. That's on them. I don't, it's not, I don't even have to agree with what one of these athletes says. I don't have to agree with what Colin Kaepernick does or says. Malcolm Jenkins. I don't have to agree with it. But I, I have to look at it and understand that you're putting yourself out there. You're willing to be involved in the conversation. You know? You're looking, is there a solution? Can I just sit here and just play a game? You know, th- then if you don't say anything, then somebody's going to say, how do you just play basketball and you don't care about these social issues. You don't care about gun laws or the NRA or, you know, so these athletes are put in a real conundrum there. Look, I, I, I was embarrassed by what Laura Ingram said. I just was, um, because I, I, I just don't like the idea that Laura Ingram works for Fox news. If you missed it last week, she called out LeBron James because in a piece, I think it was on the, uh, uninterrupted, Run right? Is that what it was on? Um, he said that the president doesn't care about people, but he, he used some terse words. And what I 
What I really don't like is she went to Dartmouth. She went to Virginia. Um, and I felt like her judgment was not based upon what he said, but from his lack of a college education, right? She had, like, look, if you want to pick apart any part of my, me debating you, pick apart the substance of my debate. Don't pick apart the person. Because the truth is that LeBron, though he did not go to college, and I don't agree with everything he says. I don't agree with a lot of things he says or a lot of things he does. I can listen to him, though, and understand he's a pretty intelligent person. And I felt like it was an attack on his intelligence, not because he appeared to be unintelligible, but because he didn't go to college. And that is a mistake of arrogance. Right? That, is the ty- that is the type of elitism which some on Laura Ingram's side would, ac- would accuse others of. Yeah, I do think it's generally a better play, better, better thing to do is to go to college. Surround yourself with people trying to obtain social and literal education. But LeBron James has lived. It's become a pretty good story and a pretty good leader in, uh, in the community. He's done a lot of things to help other kids get to college. And to simply say he's unintelligent because of something he said and maybe the way in which you took it, I, I thought was elitism at its worst. At its worst. That was just a bad look all around. Maybe the most impressive part about it wasn't that LeBron spoke out and LeBron took offense to it because that's who LeBron has always been. But it's that he pointed out in his first response to her that she got what she wanted because they're talking about it, which is where I think everybody is torn. Do I do I fight back or do I pretend like she didn't exist? It's really a, it's a it's a very hard place for LeBron to be in now. Here's the part, though, that I will, um, I will challenge LeBron and LeBron's defenders on. I have no problem with LeBron James or anybody else speaking out on politics. But if you take a political stand, you have to be prepared for people to counter that political stand with their own beliefs. Again, I don't like what Laura Ingram said, and her point was not to— she, All she could have done was say, if she thinks that the president does care about people, point out why she thinks the president cares about people, and it makes— his remarks seem unintelligent or ill-informed. She didn't do that. She simply did name-calling elitist. You didn't go to college. And by the way, she even screwed that thing up. Then she made up, as someone once said, shut up and dribble. No one once said that. You just said it. Don't quote some, but something that's not a quote. I hate that. Uh, the only thing worse than that is copying somebody's quote and then pretending like it's your own. What's in a name? I said that. Actually, that was Shakespeare. Right? That's the only thing that's worse. But the, the, the one thing that LeBron and any of these other politically active athletes need to understand is, I have no problem with you thrusting yourself into a political discussion. But understand, political discourse comes at a price. And that means that your stance can be, uh, can be slaughtered by the other side's facts. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. David Griffin joins us, former Cavs general manager. You like that, Jim? Are you a fan of David Bowie? You a David Bowie guy? Of course. Absolutely. I'm not even that much of a David Bowie guy. about the age where you have to like that? Yes. Well, <laughs> I like it. Look, I, I do have a, th- a, a thought on any kind of classic rock or even uh, uh, rock or even old, oldies radio, right? Like, these have... Uh, the world has spoken and said these are great songs, classic songs. So even if you don't like the genre, you know at least it's the best of that genre. That's the reason that you can go back and listen to any sort of 70s, 80s, 90s, 60s best of. It literally has been decided, has been filtered 
um, it has been judged, and the verdict is these are the best of what we got. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm a sheep in that way myself. If you tell me it's good, I believe it. Good enough. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me get let me get your reaction on what had been wrong with the Cleveland Cavaliers. As a guy who had run that team up until the end of last season, and you saw uh, how much they struggled mightily, they did have some injuries. What were your thoughts on what exactly was what was what was the cause? Not the symptoms. What was the cause of the illness with the team? Yeah, so I mean, they were just spiritually broken, um, and I, I think you could see it. It happened about the time that Isaiah and Tristan came back from injury. I think they won seventeen of eighteen or eighteen of nineteen at one point. And when you have fewer mouths to feed on a team, it's a lot easier. And they were really playing well. Their rotations had made perfect sense. Uh, Kyle Korver and Channing Fry were number one and number two during that winning stretch uh, on their team in terms of plus-minus. Um, and each rotation they were playing was, was plus to the point where they were actually better when LeBron sat down than at any time in LeBron's time back in Cleveland. Everything was clicking for them, and I think what happened was when Isaiah and Tristan came back, it changed both the starting lineups and the bench lineups, and no rotation made sense anymore. You had a lot of ball dominance in that first group and not nearly enough defense with Isaiah, and vice versa, you you had a situation where the bench – also wasn't able to get stops, but they didn't have enough playmaking and play creation. So the fit was just all wrong when their pieces were healthy. And, and fortunately, they were able to, to kind of swab the decks and start over again. Okay, now they're also helped out, though, by Dan Gilbert, who I know like it's mixed in any, any, any post-relationship. It's mixed. There's good, there's bad. The one thing he should get credit for is this has the potential of financially being really damaging to the team in the future, right? If LeBron does, in fact, doesn't opt out and he, you know, he, he sticks with his current contract and they keep this, they, they keep what they have. Uh, it could be over 150 million in luxury tax. So, so there is something to the owner going like, Hey, do what you got to do to try and fix it. Correct. Yeah, no question. And even in the short term, he went 7 million more to the bat in, in terms of tax. So if you're a Cavs fan, Dan's exactly the kind of owner you want because he's all about delivering championships and he's never once blinked at doing what was necessary to put his team in the best position to win and and that's what you asked for. All right, originally it looked like they were trying uh they were trying to make a move for DeAndre Jordan and ultimately they couldn't get that one done. We know what was done. What's your reaction to the moves that they made? Well, first of all, I think Kobe Altman and his team did just a truly remarkable job of, of playing the cards they were dealt. Uh, in the offseason, they were dealt an almost untenable situation, and they found a way to thrive in all of that adversity. But that collection of deals they made put them in a really unique position to be infinitely more competitive in the here and now and have a far greater sustainable future. Uh, the Larry Nance acquisition is a huge one. Uh, his defensive versatility is a really, really big deal, but it gives them a similar rolling dynamic finisher that DeAndre Jordan might have, but it gives it to them in the form of a guy who has enough versatility to switch in the perimeter. And when you're going to match up with Houston or Golden State, and even with what Toronto's doing now, you know, they're moving bodies and balls so much better. The Cavs teams have not traditionally defended that very well. 
the Cavs defense is always good in the playoffs when you can load up opposite a pick and roll. And if you move bodies and ball, you can really put them in jeopardy. So the addition of, of Nance was huge in that regard. And I think Rodney Hood is going to be a real X factor as well. I do too. David Griffin hosts Deals and Dunks every Saturday on SiriusXM NBA Radio. Be heard multiple times every week on uh, Sirius XM NBA Radio as well. He's kind of to be our guest. Of course, most recently, he was the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers. where They went to three straight NBA finals and, and won one two years ago. Okay, so um, I have t- I have two uh, flaws that I found with the acquisitions. Can I hit you with them? Sure. All right. First one is the same problem they had before. What happens when Kevin Love gets back? Yep, and I, I think that's fair. I think what's interesting is because Kevin is such an elite defensive rebounder, he's actually much better defensively than people give him credit for. I think people want to believe Kevin is is not accretive to the group defensively, and he actually is. So I think having Larry on the court and having Tristan on the court, either one, it gives them the opportunity to always keep a high-level defensive presence on the floor that pairs well with Kevin. So I think the fit with Kevin is going to be really, really good. I think the question is going to be how do they keep all those wings happy, how, they, how do they feed all of those mouths they had in the backcourt and still keep the frontcourt as sound as it will be with Kevin's presence because, again, when you're an elite defensive rebounder and you shoot 40% from three, yeah. you're a really vital piece to a team led by LeBron. Right, and, and he's also one of the things he's been able to do is play the five for them which opens up the lane for LeBron playing the four. But if you put him at the five now, that means you sit Tristan you, you or you sit Nance and you're playing with those wings. So you, you almost have, and he's going, everybody knows Kevin Love is going to play. You need his offense. You don't pay him max money to have him sit. Even if he plays only 30 minutes a game, that's still 30 minutes to which you got to juggle, uh, juggle the roster. Second part is, um, look, this whole thing is based upon their ability to compete at the very top level. And though, yes, you'll have more ball movement and less ball dominance, one of the things that made it work during your tenure there was you had somebody opposite LeBron who could go get his own shot, and I don't see that on this roster. Am I missing it? Yeah, so I think Jordan Clarkson, somebody that they're going to hope can do more of that in, in big game situations than he ever has before. Obviously, he's never been in a situation where he's been he's been asked to do that in playoff basketball, but Jordan is a guy that can go get a shot. The other thing that Rodney Hood does that I think makes them really interesting is Rodney's just a basketball player. He can escape dribble left or right. He can hit a pull-up. So he's not going to be stuck with it goes swing, swing, and he has to shoot whatever shot he gets. He's going to be able to put himself in position like a basketball player to get to a shot. Now, it might be a mid-range pull-up, but if you're efficient with that, you're in good shape. I don't disagree with you that Kyrie's absence is going to be felt in, in the playoffs, and the deeper they go in the playoffs, you feel it more. But I think their thought is that between Jordan Clarkson and Hood, they'll have enough secondary playmaking and facilitation to be able to absorb it. Hmm. David Griffin joining us, former general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers most recently. Of course, you can hear him on Sirius XM NBA radio. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb show. Um, Look, it's an impossible uh, question to put you on the spot, but um, of course I have to ask it and I want your most (laughs) honest opinion. It's impossible, but let's try. Okay. So, uh, but look, I mean, it's impossible to know. I don't think, I don't know if you, unless you know, if you know, feel free to blur it out. 
do you think legitimate this this changes the likelihood of LeBron staying or, or leaving? You know, I think it probably puts a, a greater likelihood that he stays just because he can see a sustainable group that he could play with. Now, again, you pointed this out, Dan's going to have to be comfortable with an all-in payroll of more than a quarter of a billion dollars in order to achieve it. Um, but I think as LeBron, as you look to the future, this younger, more athletic group that gives you a large and larger margin of error for the regular season, even if they may not be quite as well built for the finals themselves, because the margin of error will be so much better, his experience in the regular season will be an awful lot more enjoyable than it was at the beginning of this year. So I think it puts them in a better position. I still think that if he makes the decision to go elsewhere, for everything he does for Northeast Ohio, I I think he's earned the right to do it. Uh, but I, I certainly think this gave them the best chance to keep him they've had. I, I, here's Let me present to you the counter-argument. Uh, if he feels reinvigorated playing with younger players, couldn't the Lakers then use that as part of their sale? Hey, man, you come here. We got a bunch of young dudes that you'll love playing with, too, and we'll put another superstar around you, and we'll have more cap flexibility than the team that you're playing with in Cleveland. Sure. And, and Philly, I think, gives them a similar situation of a bunch of young guys uh, that are really, really potential stars in the making. Um, I, I think they could put themselves in a position financially where they could be uh, looking to add some big talent as well. So, yes, there's absolutely threats to Cleveland in a way that I don't think there were before. And I think it's because LeBron's already won the championship there. And I think to some degree he feels like he's delivered on what he promised. And so now he's in a situation that, Whatever box it is he's going to check with the decision, he can do that without feeling like he owes something to Cleveland. And I think that's meaningful. And as I said, I think he's earned that. David, great stuff, man. Check out his uh, radio show. It's called Deals and Dunks every Saturday on Sirius XM NBA Radio. He also pops on other shows on Sirius XM NBA Radio, and hopefully he'll join us again as well. David Griffin. David, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Doug. Pleasure's always, always mine. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.